Hey y'all, my name is Eric. I'm the lead pastor at Emmanuel in Hookson. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. Our goal is to be a blessing to everyone who listens as you continue on your journey of faith. It's also our hope that you'll be encouraged to find a church to belong to so you can plug into that congregation and bless others with the gifts and experiences that God has entrusted you with. If you're being encouraged or challenged by this teaching, would you consider giving us a five-star review? That review and rating moves us up the list so others might find us more easily so they too can benefit from this podcast. Well, I hope this podcast is a blessing to you and encourages you to get out there and be the blessing. God bless. The season of expectation. Last year, we spent time looking backward at the first coming of Jesus. Uh, We looked backward to prepare us and to instill within us an anticipation for his second coming. See, Jesus is coming back. The first time he came as a baby, the second time he is coming as king. And so what what Israel was waiting for, that's going to happen. It's just going to happen later. So he's coming back as a king, and he's going to come back, and and the world is going to bow before Jesus. And we looked at the second coming last year, and we realized that as believers in Jesus, we win in the end. That's in my morning worship playlist is a song by Natalie Grant, We Win in the End. And so sometimes it looks really, really dark, and sometimes it looks like we're outnumbered, and sometimes everything is falling apart, and we wonder... When will it be over? What will happen? Here's the answer. Read the end of the book. We win in the end. And so we we really built this expectation that, man, when Jesus comes back, he's coming back as the conquering king. And it's going to be beautiful. And so, and I really, hey, look, I really enjoyed preaching that last year. But as I was preparing for, for this season of Advent, We look back again, and we look at the birth of Jesus, but instead of looking to his second coming, which, as I said, is awesome, and we we should be inspired by it to new heights of service and faith, I I want us to consider this. I want us to have a season of expectation of meeting Jesus now. Like, why wait? You think about that. Why wait? Um, The Bible teaches us that Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead. And he is alive, the Bible says in Revelation, forevermore. And because he's alive forevermore, we can meet with him now. We don't have to wait for the second coming. We can actually communicate, fellowship, hang out with, and enjoy the person and presence of Christ right now. And this is the coolest thing. This is the coolest thing. So I pulled up a picture of a dude. He's a good-looking dude, uh, praying with some other, like a dudette and a a couple dudes. And and the reality is, like, when we bow our heads in prayer, like, Jesus, he's there. I read a message years ago, many years ago. Uh, It was written by a man named Peter Marshall. Peter Marshall was the chaplain for the U.S. Senate back in the 40s. And this guy had this great accent. I don't know if it was Irish or Scottish, but it was a rolling of the R's, and it was really cool if you listen to him preach. It's, like, not fair that preachers like me that don't have a really cool accent, we have to work twice as hard 
as preachers that have cool accents because you don't even care what they say. You're kind of like, oh, man, he was awesome. He was so deep, so good. All he did was like read John 3.16 and you're just like, oh my gosh. So guys like me, we have to be a little bit, you know, better than that. Well, anyways, I read this. It wasn't in his accent that I read it. It was just like in my accent that I read it. And it was an awesome message. And, and some of you that have been with me for a while, you know that this message impacted me so powerfully many years ago. So much, though, that, that, it, that it, it has stayed with me to this day. And the idea was uh, Peter Marshall was sitting next to this big oil, um, big oil magnate is what they called it back in the day. And uh, so he owned a huge oil company. He was massively wealthy. He had everything you could possibly imagine. Uh, and, 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 uh, and the preacher looked over at Mr. Jones, and he said this. Do you think it's possible to know Jesus today in the very same way that his 12 disciples knew him 2,000 years ago? Do you think that's possible? And the oil dude's like, I don't really think so. I mean, he's dead and gone. And that's when Mr. Jones was introduced to the living Jesus, the one that is interested in you, the one that cares about you, the one that rose from the grave. His tomb is still empty to this day, right? He introduced him to the resurrected Jesus who still is involved in the affairs of mankind. And he said, let me, let me introduce you to my master, and man, I started to read this, this sermon, and I began to get a fresh view of the personal Jesus, and I think that is absent in our churches today. And so what better time to introduce you to your Savior, and I know many of you sitting here, you know Jesus, you are saved, but I'm going to tell you, you're kind of living a half-life if you're not living it with Christ. You're living a half-life if you're not cognizant, if you're not aware of the presence of Jesus in your life. You're missing something that is so powerful, it's revolutionary for you. And I'm hoping that as we go through this series on Advent, you, begin, you will begin to see Jesus through eyes of faith. And that, that once you begin to see Jesus... It will change your life. It might actually, I know it has with me, it might actually put a smile on some of your faces. Like turn that frown upside down. Like some of y'all got permanent frown lines. Like you're just walking around and people see you coming and they go, ah, oh, I got something to do. Because you're so grumpy. You're like Garfield the cat. The only thing that makes you happy is lasagna. I mean, you're just like, the only thing that lights you up sometimes is just material things. And you're missing the blessing of God. So awesome. So let's go to the scriptures. Let's look, let, let, let's look back. Oh, I still have to do this. I've got to do two things. I don't know if I can. It came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. 
So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house and lineage of David. So David's, uh, David is Joseph's ancestor. goes on. <clears throat> to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished or completed for her to be delivered. <clears throat> And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Wouldn't you be if you saw some angels arrayed in all of their glory, how many of you would be like, oh, <laughs> check out this angel, dude. I mean, sometimes angels are not arrayed in all of their glory. They're not singing, and there's not trumpets, and there's not light. They just kind of show up. Do you believe that today? Do you know that we have entertained angels unaware? Are, are, you, are you with me on this? Like, I have met an angel. Now, I know you're all like, okay, this is where I check out. I was four years old. I had my, my head cracked open, my skull fractured, massive concussion. This guy came out of nowhere with my, with my sister, picked me up, brought me to my mother. He literally came out of nowhere. No one knew him. He led my sister to our campsite when she was supposed to be leading him, handed me to my parents, and kindly disappeared. Never saw him again. Saved my life. Pretty amazing story. Um, there's so much more to it. I might tell you later. Uh, they were afraid, but the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David <clears throat> a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. No teenage boys. He's not talking about a girl. He's talking about a baby. Okay? And suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. I want you to hold on to this. If you have your Bibles, and, and you really should come to church with some kind of Bible, whether it's paper or electronic, so that you can underline, highlight, and take notes. I want you to underline and highlight goodwill, goodwill toward men. Underline and highlight goodwill toward men. We may not get back to that, that phrase today. But I want you to underline it, and I want you to highlight it, and I want you to meditate on it. I want you to think about that statement, goodwill toward men. God has a goodwill toward men. That should blow your mind. Some of you that are so negative and so down and so depressed and so angry, and you feel like God has forgotten you, the Bible says he has goodwill toward men, and that is amazing. Because men haven't historically had goodwill toward God. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Huh, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's come to pass which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe, E, lying in a manger. 
Now, when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And to all who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary, Mary, now underline this, Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Now, Mary was told by God that this thing that was born of her would be the son of the living God. Now, he, he has confirmed what he told her through angels to shepherds who came and told everybody what the angels said, including Mary and Joseph, right? So she's keeping these things. She's pondering in their, them in her heart. She, I'm going to ask you a question in a minute. What did Mary know? And then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard as it was told them. So the coming of Jesus, the coming of Jesus, would you agree with me? It was accompanied by something that was like there were no angels singing at my birth that I'm aware of, okay? Um, there was no trumpets. Uh, was there, Dad? Uh, Dad's like, I think we slept through it. It's like my birth was pretty ordinary. Now, listen, I know what you're saying. Oh, he was born in a manger. There was no room for him in the inn. It was so ordinary. I don't think it was ordinary at all. This was an extraordinary birth and celebration of his birth. Angels were singing. I mean, this was a big, big deal. His first birth was extraordinary. Angels, a few years later, kings or wise men show up. They're shepherds. And, and listen, it's a poor virgin girl. Like, she had a baby. That's insane. It's a miracle. It really is a miracle. This this. This teenage girl has a baby. There's a crowded in, a faithful fiance. That is insane. You imagine being betrothed? Now listen, uh, back in first century Israel, the betrothal was the marriage agreement. The price was paid. They were legally married, but they were not allowed to consummate the marriage. In other words, they had not had sex yet. Okay, there was another part that was happening later. But they were legally bond together. And then Joseph finds out she's pregnant. And her story is the Holy Spirit. Look, I'm a pretty good guy. But if my betrothed comes to me and says, I'm pregnant by the Holy Spirit, I'm like, honey, I love you, but not that much. Right? Joseph, he's visited by an angel. And now Joseph believes. Joseph stays with Mary. He's a faithful fiance. There's darkness in this story. There's light in this story. What happens after this? Dude, there's a mad king. This would make a good movie. There's a mad king who slaughters children in Bethlehem in that area. And that was prophesied back in the Old Testament, right? And he kills all these children because he's trying to kill his competition. This was brutal. This mad king. And yet, he doesn't get Jesus. Why? Because Joseph and Mary are warned to flee to Egypt. And there's a prophecy that says, out of Egypt I have called my son. It's amazing the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled before he could even make decisions to fulfill them. Right? He couldn't decide to go to Egypt. He was a baby. His parents ran to Egypt. He came out of Egypt. They were provided for in Egypt, I firmly believe, by the presence of the wise men. Gold, frankincense, myrrh. How do you think they survived for the years they were in Egypt? So he comes out of Egypt. He starts his ministry. This is kind of an extraordinary 
entrance of Jesus. Now, you might have missed it if you were a Pharisee, if you were a super religious person looking for a king riding in on a horse. They kind of forgot that, that kings still need to be born and grow up. Well, how does that impact us? I want to bring this idea of expectation home, but I want us to think about something different. Let's, let's go to the first miracle of Jesus. The first miracle of Jesus. On the third day, he's, uh, he's called some of his disciples to him. Three days after he calls some of his first disciples, there's a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And, and the mother of Jesus was there. Okay? You with me? Where is Jesus? He's going to be at a wedding in Cana. Now, both Jesus and his, his disciples were invited to the wedding. That's nice. Right? I mean, unless you don't like weddings. I like the receptions. And when they ran out of wine, the mother, the mother of Jesus said to him, Hey, Jesus, son, they have no wine. Now, Jesus is just a guest at the wedding. He might not even know the person getting married. He's just, like, invited to come along, right? He said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour's not yet come. Now, in Western civilization, uh, if I look at my wife and I say, woman. <laughs> now, I know she's staturely challenged, but she might, she might not accept that phraseology from me, right? How many of you guys are married? How many of you guys would look at your wife and say, woman? How about your wife says, hey, honey, um, uh, would you mind getting me a glass of uh, iced tea? Woman. How does that concern me? You follow what I'm saying? Now, it's a completely different story. It's a very, it was, back in the day, a very polite way to respond to your mother. It, wasn't, it was like, Mom, okay, you follow me? It was like, Mom, come on. What do you want me to do about it? This is essentially what Jesus is saying. Ma, Ma, listen, I'm not here for you. I'm not here for me. I'm here for my father. Like, Come on, this is, not, this is not what I'm here for. I'm not here to just dance to your, to your jig. Um, so his mother said to the servants, this is so like a mother. <laughs> you just do whatever he tells you to do. Whatever he says to you, do it. I mean, oh, gosh. I could almost see my mother doing that. Like, it's so like a mother. And there were set there six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification for the Jews containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. In other words, these, these six giant, probably stone pots that they would fill with water to use in purification ceremonies and things like that. That's, there's some really cool symbolism here to what Jesus does. But there's these six giant water pots. Jesus told them, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. Listen, they didn't half listen to Mary. Mary's like, whatever he tells you, do it. They're like, okay, up to the brim, you know, very tippity top. We're going to make sure we do it exactly the way Mary told us to do it. He said, draw some out now. Take it to the master of the feast. They took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water that was made wine, didn't know where it came from, but the servants who drew it, they knew. 
The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and the guests have well drunk. When the guests have well drunk, and then the inferior, you've kept the good wine till now. And I mean, the major, major point of that verse, right? We're like, what is the secret of that verse? The secret of that verse is like when Jesus turns water to wine, it's good wine. It's like good stuff. He's not like turning it to Welch's grape juice. He's like turning it to like, this is high-level wine. What's that? Here's some music. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples, those guys that came with him that three days prior, he had said, hey, come follow me. They believed in him there because of the sign. See, the miracles of Jesus, a lot of times we mistake them for miracles when they're actually signs. See, Jesus' miracles were performed to confirm to the Jewish population that he was indeed the Messiah they were waiting for. And the only way to ignore him was to ignore the signs stamped on him through these miracles, which the religious people did because they were obstinate, stubborn, like so many people today. After this, he went to Capernaum. He, his mother, his brothers, his disciples, and they did not stay there many times days. What did Mary know? What did Mary know? Do you like my picture? It's like the glasses at a, at a wedding. It says bride in the back says groom. I thought that what a great way to drop a background on this slide. So in this season of Advent, in this season of Advent, I want to point you to the reality of a present Savior. I, I want you, I want you to expect, expect to meet with him each and every single day, okay? This is, this is my goal for this series. I want you to expect to meet Jesus each and every single day. Why? Because he is all ready here he's already here you are the temple of christ if you have come to jesus and made him your personal savior cried out to god i'm a sinner without hope without excuse and i want to turn from it to you and i believe jesus died on the cross for my sins and i know that he rose from the grave and i'm asking you to be my personal savior man the spirit of christ dwells in you the presence of christ is with you every day and the purpose of this sermon is to get you to open your eyes and expect to see him he is here right now he's with us mr jones meet the master he's not dead He's not in a grave. He is still very much alive, and his spirit is present with each and every one of us. Following his flight to Egypt, Jesus had an ordinary childhood. He had an ordinary childhood. He had little brothers. He had little brothers. I can just think of what my big brother Randy thinks about this. Right? He had brothers that were whiny and nagging. He had sisters. They were half-sisters because they were the children of Joseph and Mary, and Joseph was not his father. Joseph was his stepdad. By the way, if you're a stepdad here, if you're an adoptive father here, God bless you. You walk in the footsteps of Joseph. You should take your tack from him 
He took responsibility for the child of God and loved him like his own. Anyways, that's just a freebie. Here we have a miracle at a wedding. It wasn't, listen now, it wasn't raising the dead. It wasn't giving uh, sight to the blind. It wasn't healing the sick, right? It wasn't making a lame man walk. It was turning water to wine at the behest of a concerned mother. The ordinariness of this scene to me is absolutely refreshing. There are some things about this moment <laughs> that I think will really bless you. And it's a moment that God forever immortalized in Scripture so that we could forever be blessed by it. An ordinary moment in the life of Jesus. Something happened that day. Mary, what did Mary know? Number one, if you're taking notes, you're like you're just now getting to your outline. Oh, my gosh. Ooh, okay. Let's see how quick we can go. What did Mary know? Number one, what did Mary know? She knew to whom she should go for help. She knew where to go. Man, that's an awesome thing. If you're a Catholic here today, you have a very high regard for Mary. I might say your regard is too high. If you um, believe she's the co-redemptrix, that's not taught anywhere in Scripture. If you believe she's still a virgin, that's actually not even close to taught in Scripture. But if you believe in Mary, like you have a high regard for her. And by the way, Baptists, get over yourselves. You should have a high regard for Mary, okay? She did something you couldn't do and you probably wouldn't do. She obeyed the Father. She was an obedient teenager. What? That's insane in itself. I mean, the miracle wasn't just the incarnation. It was like the miracle of obedience in a teenager. Mind blown. Right there. If you doubt Jesus is God, it's right there. Mary obeyed. Anyways, um, she knew who she should, whom she should go to for help. She stored up all the things she saw and heard about Jesus. She knew there was something special about this child that she had carried for nine months, that she had fled to Egypt with, that she had come out of Egypt. She, she knew there was something special about him. She knew where to go. And listen, listen, if you're a Catholic here, listen to the words of Mary. Whatever he says to do, do it. That's the words of Mary. Whatever he says to do, do it. And Jesus said, come unto me, come unto me. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me, Christ alone. There is no other name under heaven, given among men, whereby you must be saved. There's no other name. It's just the name of Jesus. It's not Jesus in anybody else. Man, he is God in the flesh. That's why Jesus' death on the cross was enough and sufficient to cover the sins in our lives. She knew where to go. This, this girl, probably in her teens, was faced with such a monumental task and she knew she found favor with the Lord. She obeyed him, and through her came the Savior of the world. What did Mary know? She, first of all, she knew where to go. We should start to expect this. When, we, when we're faced, and listen, I talk to people all the time who are in trouble. It kind of goes with the territory of being a pastor. Like, I talk to people that are in marriage problems and personal problems and, 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 and financial problems. And here, here I'm going to tell you something here. 
I want you to, to listen to, to the words of Mary. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. I want you to follow the example of Mary. Holy smoke, we ran out of wine. What am I going to do now? Go to Jesus. Talk to Jesus. He's got it covered. He knows what to tell you. We had fall festival a few weeks ago. Listen, man, we ran out of candy. Jesus was interested in that. That's the thing that we're going to get to. What did she ask for help with? Write this down in the depths of your heart. She asked for wine. She didn't ask for somebody to be raised from the dead. She didn't ask for the... uh, for a million dollars, she asked for a need to be filled at this particular wedding. She asked for wine, and, and listen, there's symbolism in the wine. The wine represents, I believe, the blood of Jesus. This very first miracle is a foreshadowing of what Jesus did for us, right? The wine is the blood. The wedding represents him calling people out of the world, right, to become the church. The church is the bride of Christ. And in the first century, wine was often used, right, to, to, to symbolize the bond bond between two people. So this, this first, this first uh, miracle, really cool when you start to think about it in spiritual terms, how much symbolism is there. There's the new covenant in his blood, a foreshadowing of what would come later, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his bond to those who would believe, his unbreakable bond, the new covenant in his blood. But here he is at a wedding. I'm sure that nobody at the wedding really thought too much about this foreshadowing and symbolism. We look back at it and go, wow, dude, that's so cool. There, they're just kind of like, we need wine. And so to them, it was very, it was very, very ordinary. Mary asked for wine. And here it is. Mary asked for something ordinary. This is where I think that this teaching could really help you. Too many people believe that God is only interested in the big things in our lives. Too many people think that God is only interested when we have big decisions to make. But what I get from this is he is interested in the ordinary. He is interested in the ordinary. When you get out of bed and your back hurts, he's interested. When you get out of bed and you're having a good day, he wants to hear about it. He is interested in the ordinary, and the very first miracle of Jesus was ordinary. He put some Kool-Aid powder in the water. I mean, it was ordinary. Maybe not Kool-Aid powder, but... It may be that this family was too poor to afford enough wine for their celebration. It may be they were poor organizers. It may be that they weren't expecting such a great turnout for their event. But listen, man, Jesus, he cared. And Mary asked him for something ordinary. You know, when we do events at our church, we try our very best to plan for everything, don't we, Josh? We, we try. And then things unexpected happen. And we could freak out and get upset. And why didn't you think of this? And why didn't you think of that? And we can stomp our feet. Or we can say, this is an opportunity 
to expect Jesus to show up. Man, it's so beautiful. It's so amazing. When you start to live your life looking for Jesus in the everyday, ordinary events, that will change your life. That will put a smile on your face. It will put a bounce in your step when you wake up in the morning and you're faced with a difficult day, you realize that Jesus is sitting on the edge of the bed and you have a conversation with him about your day and you realize that unlike anybody else in the world, he actually cares. He actually cares. He cares. He cares about your work day. He cares about the ordinary. Mary also did this. She didn't know, she not only knew to whom to go to, uh, she, she, she not only asked for something ordinary, she expected and accepted Jesus' response. She, ex- she expected that he would respond, and then she accepted how he did respond. And this is where the first passage, the first phrase I asked you to underline really comes into play. What was the first phrase, anybody? What was the first phrase? Yell it out. Goodwill to men. That's the first phrase. This is where it comes to play, right? Um, She expected Jesus to visit her in her ordinary, but she also accepted that visitation, whatever and however it manifested. Why? Because she knew her son. He was good. He was good. He was for them. If he had said, I'm not doing anything, she would have accepted it. Because God is good. And even though our circumstances are evil, listen, this, this thought has been just rolling around my head. It's, there's not a lot of room necessarily up there because I got such a big brain. But it's been rolling around. I've been meditating on this idea. Listen, God is so good. Go home with this. God is so good that there is no evil that is so bad that just the presence of the goodness of God cannot turn into good. God is so good that there is no evil so bad that his presence cannot take that evil and work it for your good. That's how good God is. You follow? I mean, he's like a light that is so bright there is no darkened corner that that light cannot penetrate cannot hit cannot illuminate that is how god how good god is goodwill toward men she expected jesus to do something but she also knew jesus is good and so she accepted whatever it was he decided to do man that'll preach i know it's amazing it's crazy he honors faith If you read Hebrews, the Bible teaches us in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 6, that God honors faith, and faith, faith honors God. He honors faith. Mary's response to Jesus saying, Mom, Mom, come on, my mom's here now. Come on, Mom. Eric, come on, I need you to do this. Mom. Come on, Ma. And then this is what a mother does. You just do whatever Eric tells you to do. Like she completely, she completely expects her son to do something. She just, she just completely expects it. You just, listen, man, just do whatever he tells you to do. 
Just do whatever he tells you to do. She had faith and she honored God. Boys, do what he tells you to do. She had expectation and acceptance. And so, expect Jesus. Expect him. When you get up in the morning and you're thinking about your day, it's an ordinary day. Maybe nobody else cares that you have to meet with the boss but you, right? Maybe nobody else cares about your doctor appointment but you. Maybe nobody else cares about what your kids are going through but you. Maybe what you're going through is so ordinary, but it means something to you that nobody else would think twice about it, and they might look at you and say, why are you being such a baby? Anybody ever been there? Is it just me? Right? Maybe it's just Jesus. It's just you and me today. <laughs> I know. It's cool. I got it. He's here. God, he is here, and he wants to talk to you. You need to start expecting to see him. You need to pray, Lord, open, open my spiritual eyes so that I can see you. Dude, did you pick that song after I wrote this sermon? Or did you pick that song before I wrote this sermon? Open the eyes of my heart. That is essentially the message. Expect Jesus to show up in the ordinary. Expect Jesus to show up in the ordinary. You're putting your kid down. She's being a pain in the neck. Expect Jesus. Talk to him. He's there in the room with you. Do you understand the power of the presence of Jesus? Listen, it's not like, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above is looking down in love. Because I, I hear that song. This is what I hear. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Careful, little mouth, what you say. Be careful, little ears. Because the Father up above has got a hammer down in love. Like, that's how I, like, the presence of Jesus. Like, if, in, the, in, the, in the old days, if I would have heard a message like, expect, expect Jesus, expect to see him, expect him to show up, I'd be like, oh, I'm just saying, I'd be like, no, please, Jesus, don't look at me. Please, Jesus. But here's the thing. That's because my view of God was so skewed and so perverted that I missed the first phrase of this message. What was the first phrase? What was it? What was it? Good will toward men. You missed that first phrase, you've missed everything. You have missed everything. But man, when you understand that God is good and that God loves you and he has good will towards you, then you start to expect him to show up at your test. You're in junior high school. You got a giant social studies test this week. And you're like, oh, Lord, help me. Now, listen, you can expect him to show up, but you also have to accept the fact that he might look at you and say, honey, you could have studied. <laughs> however he speaks to you, however he shows up, listen, it's always in line with his character. <laughs> You're like, Lord Jesus, would you mind if I look at my friend's page? He's like, really? Did you just ask me that? Look, look, you got to start seeing Jesus as he is. He is for you. He loves you. He cares for you. He will never lead you in temptation. He will never lead you into evil to do evil. He will put you in places where you are surrounded by evil. But we, he will empower you to persevere through it. And he will turn evil for your good. Expect him 
to show up. Some of you have been in some really dire circumstances, some really difficult places. And you're like, where is God? And I want to ask you, open your eyes. See him. But see the real Jesus. Not the fabrication of your imagination. See the Jesus of the scriptures. The one who's pure and true and sinless and just and good and loving and kind and holy and compassionate. Think of the woman at the well. Think of the woman taken in adultery. How did Jesus treat her? When these filthy, rotten religious people grabbed this woman taken in adultery, naked, sweat-covered, hair plastered to her, to her face, bruised, covered in sand, and threw her at the feet of Jesus in complete shame, in utter disgrace, how did Jesus look at her? Did he look away from her and go, oh, I can't see that. Ugh, you disgust me. Well, he was already... He, Listen, what did he do? He stooped down on the ground. I think that's pretty cool. He stooped down on the ground, started writing in the sand, and he said, hey, uh, let he who is without sin first cast the stone, and the stone started to drop, and, and he looks at the, at the girl. And he's like, hey, hey, look at me. She's like, hey, come here. I can almost see him. Like he just, he just kind of kneels down. And she's just ashamed and she's weeping and she's in absolute terror. Do you realize they could have buried her to her neck and stoned her to death, caved in her skull? That still happens in the Middle East. I could just see him just reaching out, lifting her chin up. Hey, sweetheart, hey, look around. Where are your accusers? Where did they go? Now, he's still there, so she's still trembling. She's still afraid. He's a great and mighty teacher. He's got a reputation. On his word hung her life and death. And he said, neither do I accuse you. I love you. I care about you. Now go and sin no more. The go and sin no more part, sometimes Baptist preachers like to say, oh, I said go and sin no more. <laughs> Because we tend to think like that God is just out to get us instead of God being for us. What is sin? What does sin do? Sin is not something that is good for you. Sin is not something that is good for you. And so when the loving, kind, compassionate Jesus kneels down and lifts your head up and he wipes the from your brow and he, and he pulls the hair back and he looks at you and he says, no, I don't accuse you either. Now go and sin no more. He is for her. He is on her side. What got you into this mess will get you back into this mess. Go sin no more, honey. I love you. Follow me. Dude, Jesus is awesome. I think I preached a whole series on that. Jesus is awesome. And if you don't know him, you're missing out on the greatest blessing the world has ever seen. The greatest gift the world has ever seen is Jesus in the ordinary. Hey, all Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to know more, please go to our website, emmanuelhooksit.com, where you'll find 
helpful links and resources and where you can contact us directly. That web address again is EmmanuelHooksit.com. Bless God, get out there, and be the blessing.